heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, we've been talking uh, for seems like a lifetime now as to when we're going to get to the end of the pandemic. And, you know, I always seem to think it's it's just around the corner. It's going to be coming or something. And, and surely, uh, you know, Dr. McCullough would probably say the same thing. We keep hoping that's the case. And of course, then the Delta variant hit and so on. And now don't hold your breath. But there is a uh, another variant uh, which uh, has got people's nerves. Uh, pretty well uh, juiced here uh, coming out of South Africa. And I want to start right there and talk to you about that first uh, on this Q&A here. Let me just give you a little background on what I do know about this. This is a pretty big story here. So it's a new COVID-19 variant. And the thing about it is it's showing immune evasion and enhanced uh, trends Missibility, okay, so easy to transmit, and this coming out, and this is what the scientists are saying out of South Africa, from what we know. The health minister there says that the the discovery of this new virus, uh, coronavirus variant, appears to be spreading rapidly in parts of the country, and he says, and I quote. Initially, it looked like some cluster outbreaks, but just from yesterday, the indication came from our scientists from the network of genomic uh, surveillance uh, that they were observing a new variant. Uh, so this is where, where they're sounding. This is dubbed, by the way, uh, B11529 at this point. Now, what's happening now is um, my senses, fears are, I mean, fear is really the name of the game here. And I don't know that we should be this fearful. I'm going to ask Dr. McCullough that in a moment here. But I, you can just feel the nerves. I could feel them right into over, over the last couple of days here. Uh, and they're saying, you know, that there, there's a high number of mutations, uh, more than 30 in the key spike protein. Uh, the structure the virus uses to get into the cells they attack. Keep that in mind now, please. And it's spreading very fast, and we expect to see uh, pressure in the health system in the next uh, few days and weeks, they go on to say. So they recommend, obviously, the usual advice, try to avoid super spreading events. That's, of course, unless you're a celebrity at an award show. That would change everything, of course. Um, but um, now this thing, the stock markets have been jumping all over the place. And they've already started to pick these up. Uh, there's some uh, uh, um, notifications in Europe. Some people have it in Israel as well, I read. And Belgium uh, is, as I say, Europe and uh, uh, some of the uh, first outbreaks of this variant here. Uh, so we're going to start there on this Q&A here. And it is Malcolm Aloud here. I'm joined by D Dr. Peter McCullough here. And uh, Dr. McCullough, this, I mean, really got my attention. And I don't know if it should or shouldn't, but everybody's fears and nerves seem to be shot at this point. And I'm just getting a sense that people are juiced about this one. What do you, what do you see? Well, Malcolm, it's great to be on the other side of the microphone uh, from you. I can tell you on the McCullough report, I am sure we are going to have more stories on this. But this variant, the B11529 variant out of South Africa, far and away the most heavily mutated variant that we've seen, 30 mutations in the spike protein alone. Keep in mind that we went from wild type to alpha, the UK variant, there was one mutation. And then we went from uh, the alpha to beta, which was the original South African variant that really escaped the effect of 
the AstraZeneca vaccine down in South Africa. That was just two mutations in the spike protein. Then we went to gamma in Brazil, probably the most deadly form of the virus. Uh, gamma in Brazil took multiple drugs to treat it. Delta, seven mutations in the spike protein. Now this B115 out of South Africa, B115529, 30 mutations in the spike protein, many more in the nucleocapsid. This is a heavily changed virus. I think the reason why there's so much fear and the stock markets are dropping is that people know there's just going to be no way the vaccines are going to stop this one. Yeah, and that's exactly the sense of everything I'm reading is that there's no way. I mean, the vaccines are not stopping what we have now. And these are ones they know about, Dr. McCullough. How's it going to stop something that we just are seeing here for the first time? You know, I want to I want to ask you something important that uh, about this. Uh, you know, from the beginning, when you and I talking a couple of years back on this thing, when it was just getting going, uh, we talked about herd immunity, herd immunity, herd immunity. Now, I've read a lot of studies and backgrounds about this now that, uh, you know, this uh, um, pushing of the spike protein now in the vaccines and the damage that's been done. In other words, we never did really get there because of these um uh, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, Dr. McCullough, but uh, man-made man interference is what I'll call it for the moment. In other words, all these shenanigans, again, my words and ideas that they're putting to try to, you know, do what they weren't able to do. And to me, and I'm just wondering here, has this delayed this thing, pushed it out more? Did this make herd immunity uh, not even really... Uh, happen at that point because uh, again the variations keep forming and the spike proteins and the damage from that have, have we been our own worst enemy here i'm asking we have in a sense there are data suggests that we have fooled with mother nature there were papers from uh, neeson and colleagues mayo clinic in boston showing you get to 25 percent of the population there's a non-lethal non-sterilizing pressure that allows uh, the virus to thrive in the nose and mouth and those are vaccinated. And of course, the virus is going to mutate to better accommodate and infect the vaccinated individuals. So the vaccines uh, are definitely not going to get us to zero cases. Now, herd immunity, it looks like is going to be largely driven by natural immunity. So more people who get the respiratory infection, they're going to carry the day on herd immunity. Uh, I guess what we're concluding is uh, there's little chance now for the vaccines to contribute to herd immunity. Right. And, and this thing, uh, again, we don't know a lot right now, Dr. McCullough, but this could be even, I mean, it could, it may or may not be even more severe than the Delta variant. We don't know, do we? We don't know. We'd hopefully it'd be less. Now, in general, there's um, a phenomenon called Mueller's ratchet. And it's basically, it's basically an axiom that says when a virus gets to a, a certain evolutionary bottleneck, it, it must mutate, it must change. Uh, and sometimes it makes big changes. This one looks like a big change to get past an evolutionary bottleneck. And when it does so, it's typically less lethal. However, I have to tell you, Delta was interesting. Delta was far more contagious. The viral loads, you know, in the papers by Rhymerisma and Echerian, they're frequently quoted. The average cycle threshold for Delta was like in the 22 to 24 range. So that means very high virals in the nose and mouth that Delta was terribly contagious. It spread among younger people. In my experience, it was more difficult to treat. It hung around longer. One of the mechanisms of being more contagious is that people stayed 
contagious for longer periods of time. It wasn't like the original Wuhan spike or the alpha beta, which it was quickly over with. You know, we have hospital stays now that are very long in the United States with Delta. And I have great fear now with the B11529, if this is following the same line. Sure, it itself, it could be slightly less virulent, uh, but if it's more contagious, uh, man, it looks like it's going to have a run in the vaccinated. Exactly. And that's that's what I'm wondering right there, what you just say with the vaccinated. So more on this later, but this is uh, this is a significant story here. A lot of questions. Let's I want to get to as many of these as we can. This first one is from Deborah. Uh, my sister just received the Regeneron injection. She was supposed to receive the monoclonal antibodies infusion. She was told that Brigham and Women's did not have any available and instead they gave her Regeneron. What is this treatment? So they're not aware of what that treatment is. Is it as effective as the monoclonal antibodies infusion? Uh, and then she says exactly what we're just saying. My sister did get the shot several months ago, and she still got the virus. Not surprising since the shots are not effective for the virus. That's just what we just talked about. And I thought that was an interesting place to start. What, what, what do you think about those two there? Okay, let's untangle this. So the Regeneron product, which is imdimavav and carisivimab, it's two fully humanized monoclonal antibodies. It's a medicinal product. It's made by Regeneron in Terrytown, New York. And uh, that product is available by a one hour infusion, or it can be given by injection under the skin. It's the same product. The randomized trial of injection under the skin was done in elderly high-risk household contexts. It actually showed prevention of acquisition of infection, but it's now being used clinically for treatment. What this person needs to know is that the shots under the skin and the IV infusion for Regeneron appear to be uh, equivalent. And, uh, and clinically, they're used interchangeably. Uh, importantly, she points out the vaccines have failed and those who failed, and I'm glad this happened in this case, uh, they are eligible for monoclonal antibodies. I've heard uh, stories of patients going to centers and if they fail the vaccine, the doctors don't give them Regeneron or the GSK monoclonal antibody. Instead, they give them remdesivir. And I think everybody recognized remdesivir as a polymerase inhibitor has a very poor track record, mixed efficacy results, and has serious safety concerns on hepatic and renal toxicity. So I, I think the monoclonal antibodies are far more preferred than Regeneron. Okay. Then, uh, uh, then uh, I'm sorry, then of, uh, of uh, remdesivir. All right, for sure, yeah. Nancy uh, says, I've read that the CDC supports the safety of spike protein in the COVID Myrna vaccines. I've also read that the spike proteins are the cause of vaccine injuries, such as respiratory diseases and others. A formal definition of what the spike protein is and how it works in our bodies cannot be found anywhere. Can you please provide in layman's terms what spike protein is and how it works and, and if it's causing injuries in our vaccinated bodies? The spike protein is that bud or that stalk that you see on the surface of the ball of the virus. So the ball is the nucleocapsid and the spikes sticking out of it that make it look like a porcupine. Uh, those spikes are, are what's called the spike protein. The spike protein is 1200 amino acids. It has about 12 kind of sugar connections called glycosylation side chains. And the spike protein has two regions to it. The S1 region is the outer region and the S2 region is the region that connects to the nucleocapsid. Now that outer region, it actually docks with a critical human receptor called the ACE2 receptor. And the gain of function research that was done in the Chinese lab, the Wuhan lab, aided by the United States National Institutes of Health Allergy and Immunology Branch, uh, that research allowed that spike protein, instead of being stuck and, and killed in the nose and mouth of human beings, 
allowed the cleavage of the spike protein called the furin cleavage joint, and that allows the virus to invade the cells. So this virus, instead of staying in the nose like a common cold, was designed to invade cells. And once it gets inside the cells and starts spreading in the bloodstream, then it's uh, basically the virus is off to the races in terms of making people feel sick. So that's the spike protein. It does confer infectivity and virulence, meaning the spike protein is actually what makes uh, COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus so uh, deadly is the spike protein. It's not the nucleocapsid, it's not the RNA or the stuff inside the ball, it's the spike protein. So what do we know about that? The spike protein itself in a paper by Avolio and colleagues directly damages heart cells. So cells in the heart that causes myocarditis, FDA agrees. That's the reason why the FDA has a warning on it. The spike protein has been found in autopsy studies uh, uh, in the brain, uh, in the heart, uh, the bone marrow, the spike protein has been identified in immune cells, the CD16 positive monocytes. In a paper by Bruce Patterson, I recently featured this on last weekend's McCullough Report, Bruce Patterson showed that the spike protein, the outer S1 segment after the respiratory infection is in the human body for 15 months in some cases. No wonder there's long COVID syndrome. And I asked him, is there any analogous infection that does this? He said, yes. The answer is Lyme disease. Those of you who had Lyme disease, that the, 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 the shell of the bacteria stays in the body for months afterwards after Lyme disease, just like with the spike protein. And the listener's correct. It confers all the biologic damage. Probably the most damaging part of the spike protein is it damages red blood cells and uh, damages uh, the endothelial cells, the lining of blood vessel cells and causes blood clotting. Monty asked, I lost track of the lab that you recommended for COVID antigen testing. I would appreciate it if you would uh, mention it on the show. Okay, so the laboratories, remember the PCR test uh, in the nose and mouth and the antigen test in the nose and mouth are to diagnose acute infection. The antigen tests uh, get divided into what's called lateral flow tests, which are the kind of cheap ones you can buy over the counter uh, and uh, you know are available just for home use. Those have a lot of inaccuracy to them. And then there's the laboratory antigen test, which is about a 10 minute test done in a clinic or emergency room. The company that makes it is called Quidel. Quidel. They're in uh, San Diego, California, and the name of the product is Sophia. Sophia, that's the antigen test. These are, again, acute tests to diagnose acute COVID-19. Okay, excellent. Uh, Denise asked, uh, I recently had COVID and I am not vaccinated. Can you tell me how long my natural immunity from COVID will last? I'm here in 90 days. Senator Rand Paul seems to think it's longer. Is there any data on this? There are now... 128 studies summarized by the Brownstein Institute by Paul Alexander, 128 studies showing the immunity is robust, complete, and durable. It lasts far longer than 90 days. The virus is still very similar to SARS-CoV-1, where that SARS virus, the immunity lasts 17 years. And right now we're two years into this and nobody's gotten a bona fide second case. Even our CDC now admits that no one's got a real second case where they've contracted the virus and passed it on. It can't happen. The only thing that happens is people getting faked out with false positive testing. So I advise this listener, you've had COVID-19, you're done, consider yourself permanently immune and don't get another test. I'll have to ask you, because this was just asked to me as well. Does this same rule apply what you're just saying right there to this uh, potential new variant coming out of South Africa, same rule? We don't know right now 
there's something called jumping phylogeny. So when SARS-CoV-1 was manipulated in the lab in Wuhan, it jumped phylogeny to SARS-CoV-2. We don't know if this one out of South Africa with all these mutations is actually going to technically jump phylogeny to SARS-CoV-3. But even if it does so far, we've had cross immunity across these different uh, levels of what's called uh, phylogeny. Uh, suffice it to say, because the immunity is so substantial to the original infection, I anticipate it's going to hold up against the B11529. Interesting. All right. Good to know that. Uh, Kimberly says, um, for those who are fully vaccinated now and before a booster who and who have a breakthrough positive COVID test uh, and case with symptoms and then recover, and they also have natural, uh, and will they also have natural immunity, she asked. Seems to me they would and would emphasize even more for people to just stop taking these injections, let herd immunity occur, and the COVID craze stopped in its tracks. What do you say to that? I agree with that. You know, there's some countries that are not going to have vaccinations. So the whole middle part of Africa, simply because I said they can't afford it. Uh, we only have 6% rate of vaccination in the central part of uh, Africa now um, between the Saharan desert and between to down to South Africa. So the Africans nations aren't going to take it. And it's probably better off that they don't. Uh, now, in this case example, the person was fully immunized, developed COVID-19. Now they do have full immunity and they definitely don't need a booster. All right. This one is from Greg. My wife and I have started following your bovidine iodine protocol after we've been out and about. Thank you for the recommendation. That leads to the question on the premise that some amount of viral load occurs in the nose, throat, mouth area, and that the iodine kills it. But does that small amount of viral load kill the immune system, kick the immune system into gear? So they're asking, does it kick the immune system into gear? Can a person develop some natural immunity from those small uh, interrupted exposures? That is a great question. And you know, there's several sources of data that suggest maybe that's true. Do you know, Malcolm, that the antibody studies done in Denmark and the United States show far more people have antibodies than those who actually had the infection itself, suggesting exactly that, that there's a small viral load. It's enough to trigger natural immunity and people uh, luckily don't get sick. And maybe a method of knocking down the viral load with the oral nasal virucidal therapy, either dilute povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide is going to enable this. I can tell you, I just reviewed the Chowdhury randomized trial uh, from Bangladesh, uh, 606 individuals randomized. And it was clear it really made the infection when it happens far less severe. Because again, you know, we all have small amounts of different viruses and bacteria in our nose. We're not sick every day because our body can actually manage them in a low uh, um, a particle count. Okay. Larry asks, you recommend blood thinners uh, to prevent clots caused by COVID, but I have low platelets uh, around 100. Which is more dangerous, getting clots or forcing my platelets too low? Anticoagulants are um, a balancing act. Uh, at 100,000 platelets, there shouldn't be any clinical bleeding. And the use of aspirin itself doesn't lower the platelets. Uh, the one drug that can lower platelet count is heparin. So uh, whether it's uh, unfractionated or low white heparin, that can be a reduction in platelet count. So for this individual, the ideal blood thinner approach would be aspirin and then a blood thinner that doesn't affect the platelet count, such as Eliquis or Xeralto or Pradaxa. These are the oral types of blood thinners we use for atrial fibrillation. But yes, 
The large published observational studies show a benefit for aspirin and blood thinners. Recently, an NIH-supported trial called the ACTIVE-4 trial was neutral because they just didn't recruit anybody who had significant endpoints. So it didn't have power to discern an effect if indeed it's there. Okay, here's a few questions coming up on the long hauler syndrome, which is a real problem for folks. Uh, David says, my wife had COVID and we confirmed it with the T-detect test, but it's been about two months and she still has consistent fatigue and the sense of smell is not fully recovered. I know smell can take long Longer, but the fatigue seems very unusual. I haven't heard Dr. McCullough recommend any treatments for long COVID. Are there any? There is a protocol by the Frontline Critical Care Consortium. You can go to their website, flcc.net, and look at the iRecover protocol. Again, there are no randomized trials. There's no uh, clear-cut um, approach that we can take therapeutically. In general, for the fatigue or some of these uh, syndromes, I end up using a, a, a course of about a month or so of prednisone with a medicine called fluvoxamine or fluvox. That's been tested now in three randomized trials of acute COVID. It seems to have a benefit. So prednisone and fluvoxamine empirically, and we'd be much better off with randomized trials, but I know people are suffering now and I think it's reasonable. Yeah. This one is from Anne-Marie. Uh, I got COVID back in August of 21. I am unvaccinated and now two and a half months later, my hair is falling out in large clumps. Uh, is this still due to COVID? I was told I have COVID hair. How long will this last as my hair is really thin now? And what can I do to help it? Yes, it is due to COVID. It's due to the severe infection. This person, if they were looking at their fingernails, they noticed their fingernails have changed as well. And this is not uncommon for other severe illnesses that we see in the hospital. Hair is going to fall out. But one of the best supplements to consider is biotin biotin in standard dosing, as well as a, a well-balanced, uh, high-quality multivitamin, uh, it would be the way to go with this. Is biotin over-the-counter? Yes. It is. Okay. All right. Uh, Ivy says, my husband had COVID, got meds, and recovered. Then his immune system attacked his small fiber nerves. A diagnosis, COVID-related small fiber neuro neuropathy. Neuropathy. Uh, now they want him to take the vax for work. He feels his immune system is fragile and should not be shook up again with spike proteins. Kaiser refuses an exemption. Do you know where I could find a doctor to help him, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, this one said, I heard you were doing telemedicine. Which company, please? I do have telemedicine for my cardiology patients, but this patient just should go to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, get one of the treating doctors in their area, because in order to do an exemption, there will be need to be a doctor-patient relationship. Uh, go ahead and do that. The small fiber neuropathy that does occur after COVID, we think is related to the spike protein. And you're right. You take the vaccine, all you're going to do is generate more spike protein and, and cause more damage. So this is a patient who should not receive the vaccine. Go ahead and get an exemption through a standard doctor-patient relationship. Okay. Keely uh, asks, is there any early treatments for kids that they can take if they get COVID or are exposed? I know children are less likely to suffer, but there are instances that they do where they do get really sick and may still have long COVID issues, supposedly. Are kids able to take pills, pill form ivermectin according to weight, or is it really not necessary? Uh, and I, she says she does give them now vitamin C, D3, and zinc. 
You know, as a general rule, kids don't need treatment because it's so mild, it's milder than the common cold. So just, just like she wouldn't treat a typical common cold to be the same thing. But with our children with severe symptoms, and I've advised on cases, I'm not a pediatrician. I know some simple things like albuterol inhaler, uh, budesonide inhaler, use of a liquid azithromycin, uh, fever control with liquid ibuprofen, liquid liquid acetaminophen. Uh, we can use uh, some brief course of liquid corticosteroids, just like we would with uh, asthma, limited uh, weight-based dosing of uh, aspirin. And I think that's largely all that's needed. Uh, there are no published studies that I'm aware of of ivermectin. So that's the reason why I am reluctant to say, go ahead with ivermectin. I think the other supportive things are fine. The children who get hospitalized with COVID-19 are those who get no tr treatment whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, these next uh, two are from doctors, and this first one, uh, I will say, is from uh, uh, Dr. Mark Kansemi, uh, uh, and uh, I will use the last name in this case because they are uh, doctors. Uh, Dr. McCullough, do you have any info about uh, Governor Abbott's executive order stating that no entity can have a vaccine mandate and how this will impact our ability to practice at hospitals that are still insisting or requiring that we be vaccinated? I've been under the impression that we would be allowed to maintain our privileges after Abbott's executive order was filed. But BSW is insistent that we be vaxxed or resign. Thank you for your insight here. Well, unfortunately, in Texas, our government um, uh, governor's position on mandates hasn't been translated into anything that could be considered law. It was very early on in April of 2021, actually, for government agencies banned uh, any vaccine discrimination or mandatory vaccination. The House health systems in an ill-advised manner, probably because of what's considered regulatory capture. You know, the health systems are receiving so many federal dollars right now. Uh, they think there probably is a quid pro quo for the health systems to force the vaccines on the workers, even though they don't need them. And there hasn't been any significant hospital outbreaks. And having said that, uh, we've had in Texas things stymied at the uh, legislative level. There have been some breakthroughs in Florida, recently one in Kansas. And the sentiment across the country is nobody wants these vaccines. Uh, the Biden mandates have been uh, stayed in an appellate court. We know OSHA, the, its attempt to try to force the vaccines has really dissolved. Uh, the bottom line is the will of the people should prevail. They don't want the vaccines. They know the vaccines aren't sufficiently safe or effective. And doctors under no circumstances should have restriction of free trade based on a vaccine status where the vaccine is experimental. It's not sufficiently safe or effective. That's a good point. And I and also would say to you back that at the center of this storm that we talk about, Dr. McCullough, all the time, really, it's funny you say quid pro quo. Isn't that the nature of a lot of this vaccine push and everything else going on? I would suggest there's probably a lot of that happening here, more than we actually know. Uh, this next one is from Dr. Joseph uh, Riccioni. He says, first of all, I am a PCP in Buffalo and am so proud of the, of the difficult work that Dr. McCullough has done advocating for early treatment. As a physician at Buffalo Medical Group, his work has compelled me to leave none of my patients behind if they contract COVID-19. I really like this, uh, this message here. I've noticed some concerning things in my practice that I'm wondering if him and other physicians are noticing. Uh, one, the normal range for vitamin D has been lowered on the majority of labs done in 2021 at both Quest and BMG. 
uh, Buffalo Medical Group uh, laboratories, uh, 14, uh, 46.8 is not a normal range and I fear should contribute to further vitamin D deficiency in an already depleted area. So that was the first one. And the second part of this is uh, with the refreshed aspirin controversy, I feel that the last thing patients need to do during a pandemic whose illness and vaccinations are known to form blood clots is to stop their aspirin. Wondering what he thinks of this and if there is a more direct way to contact him for non-urgent things like this. Go ahead. Boy, I hope these things aren't true. It almost seems diabolical that um, there would be a, you know, a shift downwards in vitamin D levels to make the pandemic worse for people. But um, I want the listeners to understand that there was great news that uh, several analyses of vitamin D levels are kept at 50 or above. There's almost zero COVID hospitalizations and deaths. So vitamin D out of all the nutraceuticals and supplements seems to have a very critical relationship with COVID-19 outcomes. And we standardly use 5,000 international units a day in prevention, but now with acute treatment, we up to 20,000 a day. Some go higher because uh, it's, it's an intranuclear uh, steroid hormone. Vitamin D is actually a steroid hormone. The other thing is people need to get outside and get a little conversion with the sunlight, about 15 minutes on the face and shoulders to convert that vitamin D. Uh, very important. Now, the next question had to do with aspirin. And you're right, we use aspirin in treatment of COVID-19. The current recommendations, which have gone back and forth for heart disease, right now have swung away from aspirin just because so many people don't have atherosclerosis. Um, I can tell you at this point in time, I would not get too worried about the ups and downs of aspirin recommendations for general cardiovascular protection. Uh, in, you know, We've largely moved beyond general use of aspirin for heart disease. We do it based on who has anatomical atherosclerosis, who's had a cardiovascular event. And there's a test to actually indicate who benefits from aspirin. And the test is called Aspirin Works. A lot of people don't know about this. This is urinary thromboxane B2 index to urinary creatinine. I use this test every day in my practice. You can ask for it. Ask your doctor, do, not, do I need aspirin for heart protection? Get an Aspirin Works test. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see those latest controversies and, it, you know, I just shake my head, Dr. McCullough, because by golly, uh, people anywhere can't get a break here. There's always some controversy or catastrophe looming, it seems. I started to see those reports a few weeks back, so I knew exactly what this doctor was talking about here. It's like, my golly, uh, you know, we think one way and then it's another way. Uh, well, let me uh, just uh, uh, let everybody know a couple of things here. We are talking to uh, Dr. Peter McCullough here today in this Q&A. Now, this is uh, really a kind of a historical uh, Q&A, actually. I guess in, in, in my world, it is a bit here. We've done 10 of these today. This is our 10th one here uh, with Dr. McCullough. And uh, it, it's been amazing. I mean, we, we can't keep up with all the questions. We're doing our very best, believe me, to get them out to you and the answers. I, we, I can never get to the bottom of the, 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 the folder there of, of uh, these messages coming in. There are so many. And so I, I simply apologize if we don't get to yours quick enough, but we're trying. And a lot of these are very, some of them are very serious, very life-threatening as well. Uh, so anyways, it's important to, uh, to, to just let you know. So these uh, Q&As again, this is information that is educational in nature. Uh, you still need the relationship with your doctor and you need, uh, you know, the, the circles of influence in your world. This doesn't replace that, friends. So it's real important to say that we can't very well know all the particular details of any one case. So please remember, again, educational purposes, we, we want to inform people. That's what this is about. The more information, the more we are all informed, well, the better off we are, clearly. And that's the whole nature of this and why we do these, actually, uh, for that reason. 
The last one we did, by the way, was with Dr. Vincent Giampapa, and that, that had a record number of listens. Uh, that, that was the ninth one we did uh, with, with both Dr. McCullough and Dr. Giampapa. It was significant as well. Uh, that was huge. We're also doing these with Dr. Henry Ely. You'll find those on the platform as well. Uh, he's, he's an expert in, in, in a different area expertise of Dr. McCullough, but it's awfully nice to have that expertise on the platform here for sure. Now, I want to mention to you, uh, this show here, The Voice of a Nation, plays weekdays, 6 and 10, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You can hear us anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio. Uh, just look up America Out Loud Talk Radio. There's an encore at 10 p.m. Uh, weekdays. And of course, we cover everything on this show, everything, life, societal, cultural, politics, health, you name it. That's what life is, right? It's all of those things. Uh, so that's where you get that. And I want to invite you to join me on Viewpoint this Sunday, our uh, weekend news magazine. There's our number one show on the network, actually. And that's Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time is the live version of that, uh, again, on America Out Loud Talk Radio and the iHeartRadio Network. And uh, it's 10. There's an encore at 6. So the times are reversed from the Voice of a Nation. 6 and 10 here and 10 and 6 on Sunday for Viewpoint this Sunday. Invite you there as well. You know, one last thing. Dr. McCullough mentions vitamin D, the sun. And he's so right when he says that. And But it's even more than sun and vitamin D. Uh, just getting out and seeing the sun is healthy for our brains. It's help, healthy for our minds. And it's so important we get outside of our walls. And I do that every day. I walk this morning, walk several miles. So I walk every day, no matter how busy I am. I actually prioritize it in front of other things, believe it or not. And I've learned that in my life. Years ago, I would blow everything off and not worry about it. Not anymore today, people. I prioritize. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Get out and walk. See the trees. Well, I always tell you, see the trees. Got to enjoy life as well, friends, in between all this craziness we're going through. Uh, in addition, healthy cell. Uh, in the break here, you're going to hear a product, AC11. There's a new spot on it. You'll hear in just moments here. And uh, we're pretty juiced about this. Now, you're going to want to hear this. And this is going to be something with this, uh, these viruses and stuff. It's going to be more important than ever. And I've been preaching to you all, we have to take care of ourselves. You hear the vitamin D uh, Dr. McCullough talks about there. But a lot of this, and again, a lot of those vitamins uh, are an ex, uh, as a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Henry Ely is an expert in that. And that's something you've got, you are going to have to get better at this people. If we're going to fight these variants and these viruses or whatever, diseases, viruses, bioweapons, whatever you want to call them, people, they're surely not made for human consumption, are they? Uh, so please take care of yourself. Get out and see the trees. Walk, get that vitamin D. Enjoy life, smile, and don't let them put the fear in you, please, God Almighty. So we're going to take a pause, my fellow Americans, and we'll return on just the other side here. You're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. I'm excited to talk about a new product from Healthy Cell, AC11. This is a patented bioactive extract of Uncaria tomentosa from the Amazon rainforest. It supports cell DNA repair and health span. It's a dietary supplement. I'm excited to try it. Many are interested in longevity and attenuation of senescence. We know that telomere length and other uh, biologic measures are related to senescence in uh, 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 clinical and uh, preclinical studies, particularly of animal models. And I can tell you as a doctor, dietary supplements do hold the promise 
of attenuating repair and damage in our body due to stress, physical wear and tear, sunlight, etc. And there's a tremendous opportunity for supplements to help us in this area. And so Healthy Cell has brought a product to market for you to try as part of your health portfolio. So please go to HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, list out loud for 20% off your first purchase of products from Healthy Cell. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. There was a time when Americans could rely on the Fourth Estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. We join you back here on The Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly. And thank you, as always, my friends, for being on the mission here. Uh, we, we know you're busy. We, we appreciate and value your time as well. And it's my privilege to have you join us here. All right. Mark says, GE is requiring vaccination of all employees that work in government areas. I'm going to request a religious exemption. If that doesn't work, I will lose my job and income. What vaccine would be best? None. He answers his own question here, Dr. But he says none. But I may have no choice, as the caveat he puts here. Is the J&J safer because it doesn't use the Myrna? That's what he's asking. You know, right now, we just can't see any vaccine that being safe uh, for this type of social contract. What the person didn't tell us, Malcolm, is how many more months of employment does he get? Does he get three months? Does he get six months? Well, what do you get out of taking the vaccine? I think anybody who is put, has a vaccine mandate, should, they ought to ask what the social contract was. I have to tell you a funny vignette. I was in Independence, Kansas recently for a big public program. We're taking our message to the people. Typically, 500 to 5,000 Americans are coming uh, to learn about the science of COVID-19 from myself and people in my circles. But someone came up to me in the Q&A. And they said, Dr. McCullough, I'm a nurse and I was fired for my job for not taking the COVID-19 vaccine. It happened on Tuesday. I said, that's terrible. She goes, but on Thursday, they gave me a call and asked me if I could cover the third shift. 
And I said, really? I said, what happened to the vaccine mandate? She says, well, you know, they they, they were willing to overlook it because they really needed me on <laughs> Thursday. So what I'm telling you is, is listen, we're in the most labor-constrained market in the world. All these layoffs that are being threatened, this is a game of chicken. Uh, if people are going to let themselves get wrongly terminated, they're either going to be able to get some type of award in the courts or be called back shortly thereafter. And and people, there is power in numbers. Remember that, please. Power in numbers. If people would just connect their thoughts here and figure it out here, uh, for sure. And come talk to me. Come to America Out Loud. I'll tell you where the power is and the numbers. All right. Don't do it. <laughs> Lon and Paula, I had the Moderna vaccination April 21, but have not had the booster shot. At this point, I have not had COVID. COVID-19. The recent recommendation on the use of uh, the betadine uh, irrigations have intrigued me. Upon research in this, I found that there could be issues with the thyroid gland. Is that true? Only if there's hyperthyroidism, like Graves' disease, or a hyperfunctioning nodule. If it's just standard hypothyroidism or low thyroid, which is in 15% of women and 8% of men, it's not an issue at all. Remember, don't swallow the, the, the liquid. Make sure you spit it out and then rinse your mouth afterwards with scope or Listerine. You'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Lori says, I, I am an unvaccinated therapist at a skilled nursing facility. I'll refuse to get the job, even if it costs me my career. Well, there you go. What do we just say, right? Without being said, at this point in the game, unvaccinated staff have to have a rapid COVID test twice a week, even. Wow. I recently heard that these swabs are dipped in a, a carcinogen and that people who are treated often are developing brain cancer. Is this a rumor or is there truth to it? I I know with certainty that the jab is out of the question, but should those of us who are subject to this frequent testing be concerned about this? I haven't heard any reports uh, such as this. People are concerned about ethylene oxide, which is on some of the swabs. I'm more concerned about traumatic injury. I've had a personal conversation with expert Eric Hansen in East Texas. He's seen six fractures of the cribriform plate, which is the delicate plate at the top of the back of the nose. And what he's saying is never let somebody uh, never let them put the, the swab up your nose because uh, they can't know uh, how sensitive it is up there. You control the swab yourself. I think the oral testing or salivary testing is far more reasonable, but it only should be done when people are acutely sick. I think we should push back against any asymptomatic testing. This idea to do it twice a week, why not do it every hour for crying out loud? This is ridiculous, Malcolm. The WHO says no asymptomatic testing. The FDA never approved asymptomatic testing. Now is the time to say, listen, uh, no asymptomatic testing because it's against all regulatory and public health uh, uh, rules. Amen. Amen to that. Kimberly says, as she starts her message off, listeners, I am so confused. Of course, I'd say back to Kimberly, Dr. McCullough, and so are all of we, Kimberly. Uh, I just watched one of Dr. McCullough's recent interviews, and he said Pfizer is not FDA approved. But when I look at the FDA website, it shows it as approved. Please help clarify this. Uh, there are no um, insurance approvals for Pfizer that you're, you're not buying the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, you're, you are not seeing a full package label. So it's still emergency use authorized. What it says on the FDA website is that Comirnaty, in collaboration with Pfizer, Comirnaty got the biological license agreement. Even Comirnaty is not approved uh, because that's just a biological license agreement that just says they can move forward. 
if they get a package insert, that's agreeable. And if they do the com a commitment to the post-marketing study. So no, Pfizer is not approved. That's a commonly confused talking point. The FDA website language doesn't make it any less confusing, but you know it's not approved because there's no sales representatives. There is no uh, Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer's not selling the vaccine to anybody. No one's buying the vaccine. And when you go to take the shot, you read the consent form, it tells you that Pfizer's not approved. And the consent form will tell you that there is no important safety information in the package insert. There is no package insert because it's not approved. Just more trickery for everybody's minds here. Mary says, a question about vaccines. Can Dr. McCullough speak to the safety and efficacy of the new COVID vaccine from, I hadn't heard of this one, Dr. McCullough, from Medicago, is it? Medicago? Have you heard of this? No. No, I don't know about it. There's 27 vaccines in development. And yeah, I think you and I have told our listeners, we're not anti-vax. We've taken vaccines before. We're not anti-vax. There's 27 in development. There are bound to be safer vaccines in the future. Right. right. There's, she said, I heard it was being developed to, to be a, a, a sterilizing vaccine instead of just a symptom reducer. Interesting. Uh, okay. This next one is from Olay. Uh, I stupidly took two jabs of Moderna. I am 66 and have COPD. Should I, or is it safe for me to take the flu shot? Ow. I don't think it was that stupid. I mean, honestly, uh, uh, hundreds of millions of people have taken the vaccine and they haven't had any side effects. They've gotten through it. And hopefully they have had some benefit. If you look at papers by self, by 1040, by a cone that I've reviewed, there is some benefit of Moderna against hospitalization and death. Even the, the Nordstrom paper against the respiratory infection alone as a binary endpoint shows some protection of Moderna lasting through six months. So the idea is if you got through that initial safety risk phase, there probably is some benefit. Someone with COPD, in fact, benefited. Now, the current flu shots this year, I took one. So I looked at the package insert, Malcolm, and you know, the lower bound of the confidence interval on protection this year is 17%. I think the flu vaccine this year, unfortunately, is going to be very ineffective. Wow, for sure. With all this running out there. You know, I've never taken a flu shot in my life. You know, I just don't do those. I just don't do them. I don't know. Weird, huh? Uh, but a lot of people do, I guess. Um, uh, Nancy says, my husband and I are taking ivermectin prophylactically. I'm 61 with cough variant asthma, mostly controlled in high cholesterol. Uh, and he is 65 and has had his thyroid removed years ago. We're taking 15 milligrams and 18 milligrams weekly, respectively. What are long-term effects of taking ivermectin? I know the dose we're taking is below recommended dose, but my doctor can only prescribe for active COVID-19. Uh, is there um, long-term effects of this, do you know? There's no long-term effects of ivermectin, but my personal view is given the restrictions is to save your ammo for the big battle. Right now we're using the oral nasal povidone iodine dilute. And in this case, if there's any thyroid concerns, you can use dilute hydrogen peroxide just with some wood oils iodine in it, but go to an oral nasal prevention program and then save the hydroxychloroquine or the ivermectin for the acute illness. Yeah, it makes sense. And ivermectin, you go, this thing is one of the, from what I've read, Dr. McCullough, one of the safest drugs ever. I mean, it won a Nobel Prize. It's absolutely amazing, ivermectin is. I've been doing a lot of backdrop and studying on this, and it's quite a remarkable medication, isn't it? It's true. It's fully supported by the Japanese Medical Society. It's used frontline to treat COVID-19, used in the hospital, outside the hospital, same in Mexico, same in South America, same in India. Do you know, in the United States, in a very perverse way, the American Medical Association, September 4th, announced an initiative. The AMA wanted to abolish the use of ivermectin in the United States. And again, I wonder 
Where's the regulatory capture? Is the AMA being stimulated by some monetary source to try to snuff out use of ivermectin? All right. Leslie says, in Australia, it is now illegal to prescribe ivermectin uh, unless a patient has uh, scabies. Or So a lot of us have bought uh, Equimec, Equimec is it? E-Q-U-I-M-E-C, uh, which is a paste, active constituent, 18.7 kilograms ivermectin. How do we work out the dosage for us? You ever hear of this medication? Well, this is the, basically, this is the veterinary use of ivermectin. Now it's the same medicinal drug, but it's in a different format. Mm-hmm. So one has to calculate, uh, you know, either 200, 400 or 600 micrograms per kilogram of body weight, and then dose it that way. You know, as a doctor, we generally don't advise the use of veterinary ivermectin. So this person, uh, if is going to do this, they're on their own and they do need to use a weight-based dosing. Interesting. Okay. Joe says many of the doctors I listen to have suggested having a nebulizer on hand. I see many different types. Is there a particular type you recommend? No, there isn't. I think almost all of them work fine. Some people use neti pots as an example. Um, I went to the AAPS national meeting and they had a model available. I think at CVS and Walgreens for about $17 as I Recall that seemed like it would be incredibly useful to have. Somebody's already called in and said their life was saved with a nebulizer and some of the local therapies we've talked about, either povidone, iodine, or dilute um, uh, uh, hydrogen peroxide to basically kill the virus or knock down the viral load to make the syndrome much more mild. Uh, Gary asks, what's the risk of receiving blood from a vaxxed person for surgery? The chances are pretty high. We know in the United States that in terms of people who accepted the vaccine, we're approaching 70% overall, 80% of our seniors. Uh, Chances are the blood supply now is completely contaminated. The uh, Association of American Physicians uh, and Surgeons uh, had put out some analyses on this, and we warned the American College of Clinical uh, Blood Banking, as well as the American Red Cross and Carter Blood Centers. And we got responses back that they knew about it, but uh, no action was taken. Uh, Heather says, I was listening to the number seven COVID Q&A um, with you, Malcolm, and Dr. Peter McCullough, and heard uh, Dr. McCullough say something concerning the use of povidone iodine as a rinse and nasal spray uh, that uh, differed starkly from what I've heard him say many times before. And I've heard several comments on this, actually. It concerns the concentration to use. Previously, he had said to use one or two drops in a six-ounce glass of water. In the program, I believe he said to use two uh, t- uh, t- tablespoon, t- teaspoons in a six ounce of water. That's a huge increase in the amount of povidone iodine. Uh, I would appreciate clarification on this. There is an incredibly wide range of povidone iodine that's been tested across uh, seven clinical studies in 2000 patients. It can be as low as a few drops. It can be as high as two teaspoons in six ounces of water. Chances are it's somewhere in between. We say basically now about one to two teaspoons. And if it stings or burns, you can go lower. Uh, there is a more concentrated form of iodine called Lugoyles iodine, L-U-G-O-L-S, that can be added to either saline or to hydrogen peroxide. And that level, that is just a couple of drops of Lugoyles. All right. Uh, Stephanie says, I love listening to your Q&As and feel like I'm getting an extremely balanced and reliable view. You've impacted my life in a positive way and made me feel informed uh, for one of the first times since this pandemic started. My question is, how do people with suppressed immune systems, uh, multiple uh, cirrhosis, for instance, handle COVID? I cannot find any information anywhere. And we are trying to uh, make the decision whether whether uh, we should have the jab or take the chances with COVID. 
You know, Dr. Ray Page at the most recent COVID summit in Tyler, Texas, he's a hematologist, oncologist. He presented the data and it was very disappointing. Those who have suppressed immune systems get almost zero benefit from COVID-19 vaccine. And the current recommended schedule is shot one, and then a month later, shot two, then a month later, shot three, and then at six months and another shot. We're talking four shots in six months. The great concern there is toxicity. It looks like there's almost no benefit. Uh, there are published studies showing those who have like chronic leukemias or myelofibrosis, they don't even get an antibody rise. And Americans saw this full force when they saw uh, a former Secretary of State, Colin Powell, who has multiple myeloma, he was fully vaccinated and he basically developed fatal COVID-19. So it looks like the vaccines don't work in this group. And any group where the vaccines don't give any immune benefit, that means the uh, the, the balance just uh, shifts towards having some toxicity from the vaccines and stay away from them. Uh, Bobber says, my 22-year-old son is a college senior at a school which requires the COVID vaccine. He has a history of allergies but more significantly has a sinus rhythm with right ventricular construction delay um, it, uh, on ECG, which was diagnosed by, the pedi by a, a pediatric cardiologist in 2011. He was vaccinated with J&J &J in August based on a one-shot experience and hoping for the best. His only vaccine side effect was a strong chemical smell emitted from his body uh, after the shot. I'm concerned that he will be required by his university to take the booster of J&J uh, &J based on the recent FDA CDC uh, recommendations. Does his right bundle branch block put him at increased risk from vaccine? When I asked his internist, he did not know, but I recommended I reach out to the cardiologist whose office staff uh, uh, said the blanket recommendation is to be vaccinated. <laughs> Just the, uh, uh, that really is annoying. The blanket recommendation is to be vaccinated. Give me a break. What do you say about this one? Well, patients should always uh, deliver to that doctor the red box report. That's the CDC VAERS report, which now has over 18,000 people who have died uh, and over 30,000 permanently disabled. I always tell the patients, ask your doctor which red box are they going to end up in? Because these are incredibly large numbers. Of course, we can't. No good doctor can make a blanket recommendation to take the vaccine. A right bundle branch block is a benign finding in someone who's otherwise perfectly healthy and structurally has a normal heart, normal exam, et cetera. Having said that, the um, myocarditis can affect the conduction system elsewhere. So if the right bundle is already blocked, then we have a left anterior fascicular, left posterior fascicular, or a total left bundle branch block, we could be in deep trouble. And in fact, a paper by Choi and colleagues has shown from Korea, a young man who developed fatal myocarditis, I believe on day five to seven after the shot, and the, um, the myocarditis affected the conduction system of the heart. So uh, that may have been the mechanism by which he died. So I think any cardiac abnormality is of concern to put somebody at higher risk for a myocarditis bad outcome if myocarditis occurs. Okay, this uh, next one here is from uh, Tanya. My brother has uh, pericarditis uh, quite a few years ago after nasty flu. He was not sure whether to take the COVID vaccine or not because of the myocarditis issues. He was lucky enough to be put in contact through a mutual friend with a scientist that works for BioNTech. He leads a team of 100 scientists. He, he leads a team of 100 scientists who are working on the adverse reaction issues. The scientist said there that he should definitely get the vaccine as their data shows unequivocally that if you have had the vaccine and get COVID, your symptoms will be far less without the vaccine. 
will be far less than with than without the vaccine. He said that in my brother's case specifically, he would be highly beneficial to take the vaccine to avoid any severe complications with his heart in the event of catching COVID. I've heard you many times say to avoid the vaccine if you've had myocarditis or pericarditis. I'm very confused now. From his point of view, does it make sense from what your point of view is? Wow. You can imagine the conflict of interest to somebody who works for BioNTech or Pfizer or J&J or, um, or Moderna, the conflict of interest that they have. This is, a, it, this is an outrage. We cannot be listening to people who work for these companies. Of course, they're going to recommend the vaccine every chance they get because they work for the companies. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if he said, no, don't take the vaccine? He probably would be fired. In the current environment, there's no tolerance for people who say anything about the vaccines. This is what we know. If someone is sick enough to be in the hospital with respiratory COVID-19 in the ICU, about half of people have a trivial rise in troponin. The Chinese were right. The troponin is the heart injury biomarker, the blood test. They were right. They call it cardiac injury. It's not myocarditis due to the virus. It's basically a mild ICU sickness elevation in cardiac troponin. That's very different than the explosive myocarditis we're seeing with the vaccines. Uh, uh, you know, that uh, Sweden and so many countries now have outlawed Moderna and anybody under age 30 because the myocarditis is so explosive and severe. So no, uh, we would want to stay away from vaccines if there's underlying cardiac problems because of if myocarditis develops, it's going to be much more of a problem. In the paper by Rose and myself in Current Problems of Cardiology, we show the myocarditis risk extends all the way up to age 50 in men. And that is from uh, the, the great advice from a cardiologist who knows, uh, my friends. So, it, it, by the way, another way to look at that uh, question also, uh, if you go to Coca-Cola and ask them what's the best soft drink, what do you think they'll tell you? Probably Coca-Cola. Uh, I think we all have to look at the underlying agendas here, and there is surely a whole lot of them. Or as we said earlier, quid pro quo seems to be the order of the day. Uh, my friends, we just that was a record number of questions in this Q&A here. Uh, so number 10. Uh, big thank you to Dr. Peter McCullough. Now, a lot going on. Uh, you, we're going to all have to stay pretty informed now with all of this. Uh, again, remember what I say, get out and walk, exercise, take the things. We need to get into a more health conscious society where we're just taking better care of ourselves. So please do that. Everybody breathe deep. Let's uh, even a little meditation probably. You know, can you imagine Mr. Out Loud here meditating? But I do. I, I take a little bit of time and just breathe. Uh, I think we all have to do that a little bit, right? I mean, and just not let this fear get into us. It's so worried, so concerning for me. I see your messages and your emails and you're your, your pouring your hearts out. And, and I, I certainly do everything we can here. Thank you again, my friends, for joining us on the mission here. It's time uh, to get involved and get loud.